we're starting 21 days of prayer and fasting. Some of you didn't have your coffee today because you're not doing that. Come on. A little rough. I'm going to be preaching to you today. But um, we start 21 days of prayer and fasting. Many of us are doing the Daniel fast. All of that is online. You can scan that QR code. You can download it on the app. We, it's clearly laid out. But we have 21 patterns of prayer that we, we pray. And there's, you can do one per day. We put it in print form because some of you are like, hey, I just still like that print. I want to hold it. I want to touch it. We have some of those in, in the lobby at our Welcome Center. And then um, if you want to be extra and you're like, hey, man, I really just need to know how to pray these, we've recorded them being praying, prayed over. So we've prayed through them on YouTube. We're releasing one per day. You can go there on, on our YouTube channel. They'll be released every day. And then also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the audio versions of that, so you can listen to it being prayed, so you can learn the art and skill of prayer. So if that's something you want, just scan the QR code, and we'll get there as well. I always feel like I'm like a QVC home shopping commercial at the beginning when I do those things. You know, I, um, you just never know when you're going to read something, and, and, and a sermon idea is going to pop up. But I read something recently that just spoke to me and we begin a series today called honey in the rock and this is a metaphor that god uses for wisdom he says wisdom is like honey and you will find it on the in the rock you will find it in the hard places of life you will find life-giving wisdom so we're going to be looking at wisdom for the next several weeks and hopefully you'll understand why here in the next few moments but I read an article about a couple that was living in Washington with their children who uh, had a home that they built in Montana so they could be near family. And they had, it taken a long time to build this house and it was an immaculate, beautiful house. And they had yet to move into it. And their, one of their relatives, I think it was an aunt, was supposed to be checking in on this house on a regular basis just to make sure nothing bad had happened to it, make sure it was nothing being stolen or anything. But when they showed up and opened the door, <clears throat> they, they discovered something that totally shocked them. And this is what they saw when they opened the door, if we, if we got that picture. Is that somehow four cows, the wind or something had blown open the door, and four cattle had moved in to their home and had been living in their home for a couple of months. Come on, somebody. That, I, they need to move out, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> hey, that's, that's good. That's a bad dad joke, but it works. <laughs> and could you imagine finishing house, never setting foot in that, opening the door and seeing that? I mean, that would, that, that, how many know we'd be having a hamburger that night? Come on. But, you know, I thought about that in this, in this way is that you just never know what might be moving in when you're not aware that it's even there. And you know, in, in a season of fasting and prayer, you know what I'm always amazed is that when I dedicate just some time to be with God, even if it's just a few minutes every day, here's what happens. It's amazing in a season of fasting what I become aware of that's moved into my heart that's creating a mess and I, a little bit of neglect. I just was so busy, but now that I give God time, he makes me aware of it. It's amazing how sometimes a frustration can be in there, an anxiety, a worry, a bitterness or an anger, an unforgiveness can be in there, and I wasn't aware of it. 
But then I just start to pay attention a little bit more and God says, you know what? I don't like that pride. I don't like the spirit of that that's moved into your heart. And what I want to talk about here in the next few moments, though, is something as I've traveled the world this last year and as I've been in different churches, and it's just something that I've become aware of as a pastor. And that is this, something that I think has moved into the church, especially here in the United States, is a spirit of strife. And I'm gonna, I'll speak to that here in a few moments, and I believe it is wreaking havoc and destruction in the American church. And strife, biblically, it means conflict. It means to fight. It means, in the, in, in the Hebrew, it means an undercurrent of anger. Have you ever been at a beach and you've seen all the signs? The water looks peaceful up above, but it says, beware of an undercurrent beneath. Don't go too far out because you'll lose your footing and be swept out. That's the kind of what strife is a picture in the scripture. There's an undercurrent just beneath the surface that can just sweep you out. It means this. One of the definitions of strife, it means to um, make a differing opinion the priority. To make the difference of opinion the priority. The opinion that I hold to, the position that I hold to, is more important than the relationship. That is when strife begins to set in. Uh, Proverbs talks the most about strife. It uses the word quarrel. And it says a, a quarreling, a strife-filled person is like a dam that is waiting to break and it's just seeping through. And Proverbs 17 says stop it before it breaks out, before the flood comes. It's an unstoppable flood sometimes with strife. And let's be honest, when you look at the world, it's filled with strife, isn't it? Look what's going on right now in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas. Look what's going on between Ukraine and Russia, China and Taiwan. And you may say those things are far out there, but let's just talk about it at, at, a, at a local level here. School of choice or no choice. Come on. The school that you went to and you wanted your kids to go to, now it's a multi-bilingual school and they're moving you this way and that way. Man, some strife can get up in there. And, but here's why I'm talking about it as a pastor because I'm, I'm hitting it hard, I'm dealing with it early, because we are moving into an election year. And I know, because I've been a pastor for a while, I know that it is the hardest thing to do to pastor church in the middle of an election year. Because you will have people say, I am of Biden and I am of Trump. And they are in the same church together. And let me just say a few things if I can. Let me just lay a few ground rules. Stone Creek Church is not probably like many churches that you've attended before. There's 40-something nations of the world. What we have right here is a rarity in the church world. And let me just give some, some principle and some biblical wisdom because what I don't want you to think is that when it gets closer to the election, I'm manipulating you. But I'm going to lay the groundwork here is if you need Stone Creek to get behind a political agenda, a political party, a political person, if you need us to say certain things for or against certain people and, and to promote these things and tell you how to vote and how you should vote, this is not your church. And you should go find another one. Okay? And I say that with all sincerity and kindness. But uh, we will not be doing that. And here's what I ask of you. We don't need you handing out things here. 
putting it on our cars because we've had that. We get out of the parking lot and the whole thing's just covered with stuff on cars. We don't do that here. We invented a word a few years ago called convility. And it's not in, it's not in your Bible and it's not in the dictionary. So don't even look for it. <laughs> but we are people of conviction. We will vote according to our convictions, our conscience, the scriptures. We, we, we do that. That's conviction. But we know how to be civil with one another. We call it convility. We'll marry those two things together because the enemy will use an election to bring strife and division into a church. That's what it'll do. And so I'm putting it out there ahead of time. Here's what Genesis 13 says. Uh, Abram turns to his nephew Lot. They've both grown exponentially wealthy and the herdsmen were fighting and he said this. He said, let there be no strife between you and me, your herdsmen and my husband. Look what he appeals to, for we are brothers. Can I just say, let Stone Creek be a place where there's not an undercurrent of anger. Let there be no strife between us, for we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And Jesus is not a Republican, although you might want to claim him. And he is not a Democrat, though you might want to claim him. He is none of those. It's the kingdom of heaven. So turn to your neighbor, help me out, and say, let there be no strife between us. That's good. It's getting really quiet up in here already. You know, could you imagine the different views that are in this room right now on what we think should happen? I read a story about pianos, that when pianos are tuned, they use a tuning fork in the, tune of middle, in the tone of middle C. And they will tune a piano and get it all in tune. And you would think this that once one piano's in tune, that you could get another piano and tune it to the first piano. And you could take that piano and then tune it. And you would think, because the first one was in tune with that one, that they, all of them, if you had 50 pianos, they would all be in tune. But that's not true. Because you don't tune a piano according to another piano. And if you do that, guess what will happen? All of them will be out of tune. They'll all be playing differently. Every one of them must tune to middle C, the tuning fork. And that's how a church is done because we tune in to the person of Jesus Christ. We take our orders from him and we're gonna make Jesus big during this season. Amen? Amen. So I wanna talk to you, if I may, some honey on the rock wisdom on strife. In James chapter three, there is a beautiful portion of scripture where he, there's division in the church and James is, is writing about it and he describes uh, two kinds of wisdom. The wisdom from below, which he said is of this world and leads to strife, and the wisdom of above, which he calls heavenly wisdom, which leads to, he says, unity. Now, I've defined strife. Let me define wisdom if you're taking notes. The Bible says that wisdom is manifold. Think of a, a, an origami artwork, piece of work. It has so many folds. Just when you think you're done with it, there's another fold. Just when you think you understand wisdom, there's something else to see. Wisdom is many-fold. We'll never get to the end of God's wisdom. But the Bible describes it in a lot of different ways. It, one of the ways is it's learning to live life from God's perspective. 
not my perspective, not your perspective, from a God's perspective. It's getting God's viewpoint on the matter. Wisdom is this. Once you have that viewpoint, it is doing the right thing at the right time in the right way with the right spirit. It is learning to become competent to deal with the complex realities of life. That's wisdom. And what we're going to see in this is that strife is a spirit. And that wisdom is a spirit. And they're both wanting to move in and to bear fruit in our hearts. So listen how James describes it in verse 14 right here at the beginning. He says this, but if there is bitter jealousy or strife, here it is, hiding in your heart then don't deny it and try to compensate for it by boasting and being a phony. Now watch how he describes it here. For that has nothing to do with God's heavenly wisdom, but can best be described, he says, as the wisdom of this world. Now here's the description. It is both selfish and devilish. So whenever jealousy and selfishness are uncovered, you also find many troubles and every kind of meanness. Ooh, come on. Let me give you the five descriptions. This right here, I'm just gonna, you can write these down. He says there's selfishness, spirit of strife. It shows up as selfish, devilish, jealous, filled with trouble and meanness. Listen, selfish is this. It literally means this, to be unspiritual. That means that there's no life of the Spirit on it. That means the Holy Spirit cannot, his influence is not felt upon that kind of wisdom. It is selfish. It originates from the mind of man. Second, it's devilish. What does that mean? It means it will act like a demon. You ever met somebody that act like a demon? Come on. Uh, go to Disney World about 3 o'clock when kids haven't had naps. There's demons all over the place. It's just <laughs> coming, you know what I mean? It means to behave like a demon. Watch this. The Spirit of God's not on it, but the Spirit of the devil is. The driving for The Bible says that the devil come to steal, kill, and destroy. You know how the devil still kills and destroys? Strife. That's how he does it. Then it says this. It says jealousy. That means self-promotion. It is selfish. It is all about the promotion of self. Then it's troubles. It means that it always leads to chaos and disorder. Listen, if the wisdom you're following or adhering to or the group of people you belong with is always leading to chaos and disorder, strife, not of the Lord. It says this, meanness. That literally means unkind. You ever just been around people that are just mean? Let me ask you this. You ever been around mean Christians? Hey, don't be quiet now, people. Come on. I've been with the Irish for a week, man. They've been shouting me down. Come on. Yeah, there you go. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. But there can be a spirit of meanness. You know what? All of those have been true about me. If I'm not careful, a spirit of strife can get in me. And next thing you know, there's chaos, there's disorder, there's meanness, there's self-promotion. It's so easy. Before, it's a, it's a cow that's moved in, and you didn't realize it, and it's making a mess of things. 
James chapter 3, he says the spirit of strife, or the spirit of the wisdom of this world leads to strife. But on the flip side of that, he says, now let me tell you what heavenly wisdom looks like. It says this, but the wisdom from above is always pure. It's filled with peace. It's considerate and teachable. It's filled with love and never displays prejudice or hypocrisy in any form. And it always bears the beautiful harvest of righteousness. Good seeds of wisdom's fruit will be planted with peaceful acts by those who cherish making peace. He gives eight descriptions. He describes, he paints the silhouette, if you will, of what heavenly wisdom looks like so you can, you can recognize it when you see it. And here's the beautiful thing about it. And every one of these leads to unity, bringing people together. He says, first of all, it is pure. I love that he starts that. Because some translations say holy. And that, that means this. If you can't get along with God, you're never going to get along with people. Start with this, and it'll influence this. Then he says, it, it will be pure, and it will be holy. Or not pure, it'll be peaceable. As some translations say agreeable. The nature of it will be reconciling. It will, it will build bridges, not fences. And it says this, it will be considerate. Some translations say gentle. When's the last time when you or I displayed a point of view, we spoke something, and it would have been characterized as gentle. Gentle. It's teachable. It means this, it's willing to yield. It's submissive. It is teachable. It's, it's willing to yield, meaning it's rooted in humility. It says this, that it's filled with love. Some translations say, filled with mercy or compassion. You know what that means? Is that means that I choose to believe the best about you until proven otherwise. That when there's a gap between what happened and what you said what happened, I'm going to believe because of compassion. I'm going to give you compassion. I'm going to believe the best about you and not rush to the worst about you. Okay? It's filled with love. There's another one. It says this, that there is no prejudice with it. That means that it is impartial, that it treats everyone just the same. It says that there's no hypocrisy there. There's no pretense. It, it loves the truth, seeks the truth. It has honesty attached to it. But it's also, it says there, it's, it's filled with righteousness. And that means that there's a part of righteousness that, man, when it sees a wrong, it, it wants to make it right. It means that it's helpful. Some translation actually used the word helpful. That the wisdom of God will put in you the desire to help another person that you see in need. You know, I wonder if, if before we hit send, if before we sit there and think, all right, we're going to have dinner and I'm going to get them with my political view. I'm going to tell them why they're wrong. I'm going to give my opinion on this matter. I wonder what would happen if I just use this as a checklist. Well, is it pure? I don't know. Is it peaceable? Mm. Is, it, is it considerate? Is it teachable? I wonder what that would look like if these 21 days, this was our prayer outline. 
Lord, during this year, I just don't want a spirit of strife moving in me. I want a spirit of wisdom that leads to unity. Would you let these characteristics begin to move into my heart and produce good fruit in me? I just wonder what that would do for you, what that would do for your church, what that would do for the people that you surround yourselves with. I wonder. I want to give you just three quick thoughts in the next few minutes on now that we've seen how they're different. I want to talk to you about three things that I think how we apply this to our lives. And the first thing I just really want you to understand is this, is that strife destroys but wisdom builds. Wisdom builds. Proverbs 24.3 says this, it says, by wisdom a house is built and through understanding it is established. I just want you to know you can check it out. You can look at wisdom anywhere in the scriptures. But any time that wisdom shows up, it al- almost means that something's being built. Uh, in the passage translation, it says, this, is, it says this, that the wise are builders of families, of businesses, and communities. Whatever the spirit of wisdom touches, it begins to build. Can I just say this? If, um, that, that means this. If the dominating nature of your conversation and your point of view is to destroy and deconstruct, you're not filled with the spirit of wisdom. That's right. It's not a spirit of wisdom. You know, and I understand sometimes you can be in a season of deconstruction, but you can't live in it because wisdom builds. And just a question, what what has been built up around you? What's being built up right now around you? Or a thought I have to ask myself is, what's being destroyed because of me? What am I tearing at? Is there just this whole thing of destruction, destruction? Or can I look and see that things have been built? Relationships have been built. Things are getting improving, getting better because of the wisdom of God on my life. Strife destroys but wisdom will build. Here's another one. Is this, is that if um, heavenly wisdom, if it's heavenly, which it is, it demands heavenly communication. Think about that. If God says the origin of it is himself, it's heavenly, then that means by being with him, we can obtain wisdom. Here's something that I've noticed, is that prayerlessness and strife go together. Whenever um, I have a season of prayerlessness, strife is always the thing that moves in. When, when, a, when a group of people, a church, when a family, when we stop praying, guess what the dominating spirit of the place will be? Strife. But the scripture says this in James 1.5, that if any of us lack wisdom... You ever met somebody that lacked a little bit of wisdom? Come on. Have you ever lacked some wisdom before? If anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Listen, that means that I can acquire godly wisdom through the discipline of prayer. I can obtain it. It can be unleashed in in my life. And here's the thing I wrote down is that people who don't pray 
resort to fighting to get what they want. Listen, that's how you obtain the promises of God in your life. It's through prayer. That's how you obtain the godly future for you is through prayer. You don't fight for it. You pray for it. You allow God to work it out and God to be at work in you and through you. Heavenly wisdom demands heavenly communication. And here's the last one, and I'll, I'll close with this one, is cut the ropes of hypocrisy. I'll tell you what I mean by that. Notice that one of the markers of godly wisdom was that there was no hypocrisy, that there was no pretense, that they had a proclivity to honest and openness. I just read in Proverbs this week about even hell, it says in Proverbs 15, cannot hide itself from you. You see all. And I just want to camp out here because when I read that, I thought of a story in the book of Acts. And that's why I'm, it'll all become clear in a moment. But cut the ropes of hypocrisy. And, and, and it's just all about pretending. It says in Acts that the apostle Paul was on a ship. And it's Acts 27. This is toward the end of his leadership, his life. He's on a boat in a hurricane. And God speaks to him at night. And says, tell the leader, the centurion, that's holding you captive, that if anybody gets off the boat, everybody dies. And he does. And the centurion listens. I just love that. The centurion thinks he's in charge, but the apostle Paul took it over. Come on. little mutiny there. So the centurion evidently trusted Paul. But there were some sailors who were on that ship that, I don't know about this Paul guy. This is looking bad out here. I don't know about this. And it says, listen to what it says about him. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea. Watch this. Pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. I love that. These guys had a plan. Yeah, we're going to go let the anchors out. Get the lifeboat. Get out of here. <laughs> then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you can't be saved. So the, listen to this. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Oh, could you imagine that? They were saying they were going to do one thing, but they ended up doing another. And then it says they cut the rope and their plan B just started floating away. Have you ever had a plan B just float away? I love that. I just, when I, our future is tied to our ability to cut the ropes of hypocrisy. We will not be able, this is true for me, we cannot build with a spirit of pretense. Wisdom demands truthfulness. And that we, what the scripture says, when a double-minded man asks, he should not receive anything from the Lord, it says, because he is unstable in all of his ways. He's like a wave tossed by the wind. Double-mindedness living with two operating systems. I'm going to live one way on a, on a Sunday, another way on a Monday. That, that will lead to our destruction. 1853 in New York City, the World's Fair was there. A man by the name of Elisha Otis was an inventor. And Elisha Otis had invented something that nobody wanted to buy. It was an elevator break. 
Elevators had already been invented, but nobody wanted to ride the elevators because when the ropes broke and the chains broke, people died. And so at the World's Fair in New York City in 1853, you can see this is an artistic interpretation, thousands of people gathered around and heard him give a talk. He's on, suspended above thousands of people on an elevator, and he yells at the end of his talk for an axeman strategically placed to cut the rope, and he does. And gravity quickly takes over, and all of a sudden that elevator begins to fall. The crowd <gasps> gasps, but it only falls a few feet because the elevator, um, the emergency brake, elevator brake that he invented kicked in and caught the elevator from falling. And he yelled to the crowd, all is safe, all is well, ladies and gentlemen, all is well. 1854, he installs the first elevator in New York City with an elevator break. The tallest building in 1854 was a five-story building in New York City because people said, we'll walk five stories, but not six. <laughs> Listen to this. Listen to what happens. First elevator goes in 1854. By 1890, there were 10 buildings taller than 10 stories. By 1900, about 50 years later, 65 taller than 20 stories. By 1908, there were 538 buildings that were considered skyscrapers in New York City. Here's a picture of the landscape currently right now. By last count, there's just a shade over 58,000 elevators in New York City, making per year on average 11 billion trips up and down the skyscrapers. I just love that. This man cuts the rope and whole city is built. You know, in this season of fasting and prayer, you know what my prayer as a pastor is? Is that we'll cut some ropes. We'll cut the ropes of relationships that we know have long since served their purpose and we need to sever them because they're toxic and they're destroying us cut the rope. Sometimes we can hold on to a plan B. We can be married and have a relationship over here. Cut the rope. It's getting quiet in here. Oh, cut the rope on an addiction. Cut the rope on a spirit of lust. Cut the rope on some pride, some jealousy. Cut the rope during these 21 days. Submit to the wisdom of God. And watch it begin to build your life to heights that you didn't even think possible. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's all stand as we get ready to close. Stand if you can. Invite the worship team uh, to come back up if we can. Um, as always, we end with prayer meeting. So we're getting ready to go into our prayer meeting time of the service. So I want you to put your hands out in front of you, palms up, as a sign of your submission and surrender to the Lord. I'm just going to ask them to just to play gently in the background. And guys, I, I ended, left things out just because I want to leave plenty of time here at the end for you to pray. Yeah. Here's the thing you need to know about wisdom. It's not a set of principles. 
It's a supernatural person. The scripture says that Jesus was wisdom, God's wisdom wrapped in flesh. It, if you want to know what wisdom looked like, act like, and would do, it's Jesus. And the wisest thing we can ever do is submit and surrender our lives to the life of Jesus Christ. And if you're in this room today and you need to submit and surrender to Jesus and let him be Lord of your life, you followed your own wisdom and it's made a mess of things, but you're in here and you'd say, you know what? I need to submit to the wisdom of Jesus. And you need to be born again. Ask him just to save you. Your words right there. Not just your head and your heart, but just begin to whisper to him. Jesus, save me. I give my life to you. And now right here, Stone Creek, on the first day of this fast, let me speak to the rest of you who are already in Christ. Man, you're just right here in a posture of humility. Come on. Anything moved in there? Anything that's been moved into your heart that's just reeking and causing a mess? Would you just ask the Lord to remove that? Maybe you already know what it is. I'm going to ask you not head and heart. You're the church. Let's pray. Begin to talk to the Lord. Say, Lord, remove that spirit of strife from me. Come on, just ask him to remove that, that selfishness, that jealousy. Get honest before the Lord right here. Right here on the first day of this 21 days. We're starting it right here. We're getting just honest before the Lord. That's the first thing he needs is honesty. You're standing before the Lord right now. That's it. Lord, remove from me anything that's not of you. <clears throat> now I want you to invite the Holy Spirit in. Would you do that? Come on, Christian. Right here at the beginning of the year, beginning of 21 days, would you with your words, Holy Spirit, I invite you to move into my life. Holy Spirit, fill me now with the spirit of wisdom. Would you do that? I need the spirit of wisdom. I need to know how to build, Lord. Come on, he says he gives it to those who ask. Ask him for it right now. Just say, Lord, I need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. I don't care if you're a professor, you're a doctor, you're highly educated, have no education. No, it don't matter. You need wisdom. It's different. It's more than knowledge. It's wisdom. It's the mind of God on the matter. Give me wisdom. And now let's just pray through that list, can we? Eyes closed. Right there before the Lord. I'll lead you. Lord, let me be pure. Let me have a spirit of purity with your wisdom there. Let me be filled with your peace. Peaceable. That's it. Let me be filled with love and mercy and compassion. That's it. Let me be filled with teachableness, your humility. Let me be teachable. Let me be gentle. Come on, ask the Holy Spirit to make you gentle. That's it. Let me be righteous, helpful, 
That's it. Let me be impartial. Let me not favor one group over the other. Remove all impartiality from me, prejudice from my heart. And Lord, let me be truthful. Let there be no pretense hiding in my heart from you. And I'm just wondering right here in a spirit of prayer, if you're a Christian, you just say, you know what, man, there's something, I got something there. I, I, there's an area maybe pretending there where I appear one way, but my actions say something else. That's okay, no condemnation here. Be honest before the Lord, would you? And cut the rope right now. Just say, Lord, I cut the rope of that. I cut the rope of that pornography. I cut the rope of that life-controlling anxiety over me. I cut the rope over that addiction that no one knows about, the drinking that's been hidden. I, no one knows. I cut it right now. I cut the rope of that relationship that nobody knows. I cut it. I cut the rope today. And now, Lord, help me to build. Help me to build back better, higher, taller, stronger. Amen. Now, would you be willing as we close? Just lift your hands all the way up to the Lord here. Could you do that here? And could we, church, could we just take a moment and just thank him and just worship him in our words? Come on. Let's just fill the room with our worship and our praise right now. This is the easiest thing for the Christian to do, to thank the Lord. Come on, just right there in your own words. We're getting ready to sing that, that phrase in, in, in uh, Yoruba. Baba, oh, Father, our hands are just extended to you. Come on, just in your own words, just say, Lord, I love you. I thank you. Invite him. Bless him. Worship him. Magnify him right now. Lord, we lift you up in this place. We just magnify you a little bit right here on the first day, 21 days. We lift you up. Lord, we set aside these days to be with you because you're all-knowing, all-powerful. You're almighty. You're all-consuming. We magnify your great name. We love you. That's it. And now let's just sing those words to that song. Would you lead us in that? Baba, oh, go ahead. Come on, just sing them to the Lord. Would you sing them out loud?